Today we're looking at another one of our pillars, mission. We've looked at gospel and how it forms the foundation for all the pillars, or values, as we call them, um, that, that remain uh, gospel, community, mission, and family. So the good news of Jesus Christ comes as an announcement to us of the forgiveness of sins. It's glad tidings of eternal life and relationship with God. As believers in this good news, we are placed into community, which Mike shared about last week, to love one another, to serve one another. And uh, we, we find, as we'll get to next week, that this community is more than just you know, some kind of club or that, something like that that you belong to. It's actually brothers and sisters in Christ. It's family. We'll explain that more next week. Uh, but our lives as new creations look different, and now we find a commonality that previously we didn't have. You know, I've often said that the relationship that brothers and sisters in Christ have with each other is closer than the friendships that we have with the world, um, those who are unbelievers. But oftentimes, God sews together people who otherwise probably wouldn't spend time together, people who otherwise wouldn't have fellowship together, uh, maybe because we have different things that we like, different affinities. But once there's this bond in Christ, it's like we're literally stitched into a family uh, that's just so different than anything else that exists. And so community almost sounds like uh, too light of a word to refer to what happens. Um, and, and it is, because really it's family. Uh, we are being drawn together and we live out this new life together. And today we'll see that as we believe the gospel and live together in community will desire to have others join us in this new life. So mission. This is uh, on the screen. This is what's from the website. We believe that Christ's church and every individual in the church has a God-designed purpose on the earth to build up one another and reach the lost. As we unpack a couple thoughts this morning about mission, uh, we're going to look at what is mission and how do I engage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together this morning, uh, to gather together the family of Christ here uh, at Grace Life. We praise you for all that you're doing here and in Clarksville, Tennessee with Derek and the family um, as they've moved down there to um, launch into a church uh, plant that was um, kind of struggling to get off the ground due to COVID and things like that and how you've really sparked life down there. We ask that you would richly, abundantly bless them with your grace and just the knowledge of the gospel as they continue to labor down there. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold Christ this morning, as Randy shared with us, to behold Christ and, and have his life be um, just burned into the retinas of our faith. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is mission? Some of you may not be as familiar with this word, um, in the context that we use it in, at least. And so I don't want to take for granted what, you know, that you might know what it is. You know, I don't want to take that for granted. We can become guilty of treating words like this um, as just kind of like cliches, and we, we start to lose the meaning of what they, they actually mean. So we want to add some clarity to that. As, uh, as we go through this series, and um, that's kind of one of the reasons for this. We want to add clarity to what our vision is. I did look this up in the dictionary, because that can be sometimes helpful. Webster's defines this word mission as a specific task with which a person or a group is charged, 
also as calling or vocation, and finally as a body of persons sent to perform a service or carry on an activity. And there are some more specific definitions underneath those general headings, uh, but you can look those up in your own time if you would like. At Grace Life, our mission statement is pretty simple. Preach the gospel and make disciples. When we talk about mission, we might say things um, about living on mission. And really what that means is to live with kind of a a gospel purpose uh, in the way that we live our lives. We see being on mission as living as those who have been sent into the world to proclaim the forgiveness of sins through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to all that we come in contact. When you see mission in our four values, again, gospel, community, mission, and family, we are not necessarily referring to missionaries uh, that go around the world, including the ones that we support. As well, it's not referring to some specific evangelistic outreach. What we mean by mission is that we see the role of believers of this local fellowship called Grace Life as being sent ones into the places we live, play, and work, essentially wherever we are, to make disciples. And so under this definition of mission, you can see that missionaries are not excluded. They're part of that, obviously, um, as they are also sent ones making disciples, but includes all of us here at Grace Life. All of us who have believed in the gospel, the entire body of Christ. So typically when we think of missionaries or missions, uh, we think of people who cross cultural lines to bring the gospel to people overseas. Um, I think if I was to ask anybody, if, if you know, give me a definition of missions or missionaries, that's probably what would be communicated. I think it'd be helpful in our understanding of this pillar called mission to see ourselves as missionaries. And when Chanel and I were praying and making our plans to move up here to western New York, um, and we were talking it over with family and friends and, and all that good stuff and praying about all the things that were ahead of us, we treated it much like we were going to a foreign land as missionaries. And in some ways, it is. And that's not a dig at western New York, but there's different culture. There's different things. You know, we were living in the deep south and, you know, it seemed like everybody and their mama was a born-again believer. Seems. Um, you know, because everybody had been baptized 18 times. And everybody had walked down the sawdust trail 18 times. And everybody had a grandma who was praying for them. And so, you know, it was a very religious place. And we came up here and it was like, I met people who had never heard of Christ. Much less had any experience with religion. In some ways, it's kind of a post-Christian culture. And so there was a whole new language we kind of had to learn. We had to adjust cultural adjustments. One of the main themes that we see in the scriptures is that we are exiles and strangers in this land, and we're just passing through. And so it really shouldn't be hard for us to see that wherever it is that we end up setting down roots that that is a missionary call for us, no matter where it is. One of the problems uh, that occurs when we attempt to emphasize something like mission, or what Mike uh, emphasized last week with community, is that much of church culture swings like a pendulum, kind of one side or the other. And so 
often when we attempt to emphasize mission, uh, we lose focus and sight on community and the importance of that. And the opposite is true. We, if we emphasize community, we lose sight of the mission. And so I think, uh, really, you can't have one without the other. They work hand in hand, built on the foundation of the gospel. And so when a church, the local assembly of believers, believes the gospel, community will form. The gospel will produce fruit. One of these fruits is that we as believers will be a fragrance or an aroma of Christ to those around us. People will be drawn in. Last Sunday, Mike concluded with John 13, 34, and 35. And that's actually where we're going to pick up again today. Because community and mission are tied together. John writes, uh, the words of Christ here, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here Jesus tells his disciples to love one another. And that through this love, people will know that they are his disciples. This is the primary way that we as believers and disciples today live on mission. We, as a body of believers, love one another. Serve one another. Throughout the New Testament, we are first exhorted to believe and be rooted in the gospel. And then we are told to love one another. Jesus says this to his disciples before he goes to the cross. But we, as believers who are part of the new covenant marked by the blood of Jesus after the cross, now have a new motivation for loving one another. The great love of Christ shown in his death, burial, and resurrection now motivates and stirs us. And this confirming sign of loving one another is not a badge of our commitment to Christ, But really, it is a badge of his commitment and his faithfulness to his people. As John writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So we don't have to love in order to earn God's love. His love is placed in us. And believers love who Jesus loves because we have his spirit within us. And if this isn't happening... The prescription is to believe the good news, to behold Christ, as Randy said. When he started talking about beholding Christ, I was like, ooh, because it was coming here on page three of my notes. (laughs) As we behold Christ, as we look to Christ, I love the idea of the image of the sun being burned into our retinas. It makes a lasting impact in our lives as we behold him. His love is placed in us and it stirs us. And so you can call to remembrance his great love for you. You can bask in his love and it will be reflected in you. Like the moon reflecting the light of the sun, so too we will reflect the light of the sun. S-O-N. So what exactly will the world be drawn to? The love that Christ is producing in our hearts for one another. Is this love just a general acceptance of all people and all lifestyles and worldviews? Is it just a kind of, um, well, a kind disposition? No. It's the love of God produced by the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 5, 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. As new creations living in community, with God's love poured into us and overflowing, we, are now, we now are to unbelievers an aroma or a fragrance of Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2, 15-17, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This aroma is to both brothers and sisters in Christ and the perishing unbelievers. And to some it is the fragrance of life, and it will draw them to Christ, and to others it's the aroma of death, and will cause them to reject Christ. Either way, its intended work, its intended effect takes place. The word about Christ doesn't return void. It has its intended effect. And so, brothers and sisters, let us love one another. I was talking to members of Steve Whitaker's family this week. And um, it's funny, again, Randy, that's exactly what I mentioned to them, uh, a recent interaction with Steve that I had. I said, Steve, it's good to see you. And he said, it's good to be seen. But uh, I I was asking them some questions about how Steve came to know Christ, how he came to believe in Christ. And Donna shared with me that when her sister, uh, his wife, Diane, was dying, he saw how the body of Christ here at Grace Life loved her and, as well, loved him. How the body of Christ at Grace Life cared for her. And Steve saw that, and he was drawn. He actually wanted to check out this Grace Life. See what it was that compelled these people to care so much for Diane. I never had the honor to meet Diane. After talking with uh, Donna a little bit, I, I wish that I had, but one day I will. The the body here at Grace Life loved her, and because of that, we also loved Steve. And his life was changed because of that, as he beheld Christ. And because of that, he believed the good news of Jesus. Because if the good news of Jesus could do that, then he wanted to be a part of that. We also see in some familiar passages that we are not just loving one another in community, but we're also sent. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus here sends the disciples out. And what's really cool is they accomplished this. They went out. Even Thomas, who has this reputation of doubting, ended up as far out as India, sharing Christ with those he came in contact with. They went out as sent ones and made disciples. We are disciples in that same lineage, making disciples. And so wherever we are, 
that is where we've been sent. Some will feel the urgency to go around the world, but most of us won't. And so that doesn't mean that the only ones who are sent are the ones who go to a foreign land. It's a wonderful thing, but we're also sent right where we are because God has sovereignly placed us right where we are. We will live our lives right here, whether it's in Livingston County or Monroe County or surrounding villages and towns. This is where you've been sent by God's providential plans until he sends you somewhere else. God has placed you here as his ambassador. We recently heard this passage, 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a lot of really powerful stuff in that passage. We are sent ambassadors, representatives with a message. We speak on the king's behalf. I don't know if any of you have watched any of the coverage of uh, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. One of the most unique things was when they officially made the announcement um, of her death, the protocols that went into that. And, you know, people knew something was going on, so crowds had gathered around Buckingham Palace, and the herald came out, and he didn't, like, verbally announce something. All he did was walk out and nail a placard to the fence there. And it read, I don't have a quote or anything, it basically told of her, her death. He was an ambassador, a herald, making an announcement. We speak on the king's behalf, and our message is his message. It's his announcement, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ. He has entrusted this message of reconciliation to you and I. And so we can boldly make this announcement because this announcement is not coming from you or I. We're vessels, absolutely. But it's his words. And we can boldly announce the forgiveness of sins as his ambassadors without fear. Because when you come into a situation like that, when you are speaking to an unbeliever, you are the kingdom of God coming to the lost. The lost who are dead in their sin. And you are speaking on behalf of the king. And so the mission is to make disciples reconciling the lost to the father. And your part is to announce it. What are you announcing? Paul says it this way in this passage that we just looked at. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Announce that to people. Romans 8.15, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has granted unto you who were once alienated and cut off. He has given to you adoption. And now as a new creation, as his child, you are sent out as an ambassador to serve adoption papers to those who are far off. 
And so go and send, uh, be sent and serve those adoption papers. Bring in the lost and broken, the lonely, the ones no one wants, the discarded. Bring them into a new community where the love of God is overflowing. Someone's car alarm is going off. Preach Christ. Tell them of what Jesus did and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And welcome them into our family. This is mission. And as believers, uh, we don't then move on to something else. Uh, We don't just walk in the door and the door says gospel. And then we come in and we find something else to to work at or something else to uh, take us beyond those basic principles. We keep the gospel at the center. We don't move on from it. Perhaps we know all of this. We know the good news. But we need to be reminded and remind one another often, as often as we gather together of the good news. But maybe you're just not sure how to go about and and do this. So how do we engage? How do we engage those who are not believers? Well, we engage by living our lives among those Jesus came to seek and to save Before I give you some practical ideas, I want to read from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here, Peter begins by reminding the reader of their identity in Christ, their union with Christ. And so from that place of union with Christ, he says, keep your conduct honorable, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Simply put, I believe that this means that our lives will be a testimony and will testify uh, of what is true of our new life in Christ. It will bear fruit, and people will see that. As we already covered, this is primarily seen in believers loving one another, but our lives will be marked by other fruit as well, and people will see it. We live amongst believers and unbelievers, and both receive the benefits of gospel-transformed lives. God has placed you where he wants you, Not to live isolated lives from the world, but to be a light to it. Scripture tells us that we are in the world, though we're not of it. And so don't be isolated. Find things that make you happy and do them. Knowing that God is with you in them. Immerse yourself in the culture that you've been sent to. I'm going to uh, tell on somebody a little bit here, and it's my wife. Chanel loves nature, and she loves gardening, but living in an apartment, we don't really have that ability to uh, have a garden too much. Um, And so she started volunteering at a place that she had heard about and saw that they were looking for volunteers, Linwood Gardens. And if you've never heard of Linwood Gardens, I encourage you to Google it and check out, especially when they do their Tree Peony Festival. I think that's in May. It's just beautiful. And she has been able to find uh, a place where she can get her hands in the dirt and uh, do some fun things. And she's doing it amongst unbelievers. 
And through that, she's been able to have conversations with people that otherwise she would never have had the opportunity to be able to speak to, to be able to share Christ with. And it's just doing something that she enjoys. And so she's able to share her life, the life of Christ, with them. And it doesn't always look like a three-point sermon in a poem. Sometimes it's just being there and being present, getting in the dirt and digging with them, and just asking people about their lives. So I encourage you to seek out something that you like to do and do it for the glory of God. As you do it, listen. The people in our community are telling us what they believe and why. And it's important for us to ask questions and to listen. If we are to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have within, we must spend time listening to the questions in order to be able to respond. What is the hope that you have? Is it in political change? Is it in a good life in the here and now? Is it just good morals? No. The hope of the believer is Jesus Christ. Those other things can be good, sometimes, but they are not our hope. Now, I know that I often say these type of things, especially about politics, and maybe you've walked away with the thought that Caleb could care less about politics. Um, It's a deeper conversation, but um, there is an election coming up, and I know uh, there's a lot of important things um, that are are up for, for grabs, if you will. And uh, I would encourage you to do what you have faith and grace for. Vote according to uh, what we believe about the good news and uh, do so accordingly. I think registration uh, for voting ends October 24th and uh, the election shortly follows after that. So pray about it. Pray the way that the Lord would lead you to vote. But remember that your hope is Christ despite the turnout of the election, despite the results of whatever happens. When the thing that we're shouting about the loudest is all the ways that this world, dead in its trespasses, is a horrible place, then people are unlikely to listen to us about the hope that we have. Because we don't seem to have any. And so behold Christ till the eyes of your faith are burned (laughs) as you're staring at the sun and you'll have fresh hope. Remind yourself of all that he has done for you. Remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Remember his great love. Remember how he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what are some practical ways then to engage some ways to live on mission. I have some ideas, but I am not attempting to heap any condemnation on anyone. And so these are ideas. This is not a to-do list. There's grace here. And you have to do what you have faith for. These are just some practical ideas of what loving might look like. Some thoughts on how you might show this love to those who haven't believed in Christ yet. And I want to start with rest. Rest is a hallmark of a grace-filled life, and as we believe the gospel, we cease from our earnings and we enter into rest. 
We can also see physical rest as a testimony of the gospel to an earning obsessed world. And so rest, spend some time with your family and your friends. Take a weekend off here and there. Take breaks, take vacation time. Don't be enslaved by work and the need to constantly do. Rest doesn't say that there is no work to do because there certainly is. It says I don't have to work to earn something, whether the approval of God or the approval of others. And so this shows us that yes, there's still work, but we start from rest. Rest quietly displays the good news to a world that is obsessed with earning. And that's next one is perhaps my favorite. Should be obvious. Meals. We eat three meals a day, so why not invite some neighbors over for one of them? Meals are an amazing cultural moment if you think about it. Everyone eats, and yet there is something really special about being invited into somebody's home to share a meal. I watched a documentary some time back that kind of explored uh, the cultural uh, connection to sharing a meal with people, and it's just incredible. Every culture uh, has meals at the center of their lives, and to be invited in, in many cultures, is one of the pinnacle, uh, pinnacle ways that you can love someone. And so invite people over, share your home, open up your life, and share your resources with others. And when you welcome someone in like this, you are displaying the gospel. As believers, we partake in the Lord's table, uh, and it displays what Christ has done on the cross for us. When we share a meal with someone, we are opening up our home and sharing the love of Christ with those who have not known it yet. So I encourage you to do this. Jesus did this often. He ate with the dirty the sinners, the prostitutes, and the thieves. He also ate with some religious people who were also dead in their sins. So we can share meals with those who are believers, who love the gospel, who love the body of Christ, and we can also invite unbelievers in as well. We can play and create. As I said earlier, find what you like to do and do it. Sports, activities, the arts, and more. Find ways to engage in these things with people who don't know Christ. So find, um, I don't know, perhaps like a, a club that you can belong to, um, whether it's you know some kind of sports club or something like that, um, or photography. Find an open mic night if you have musical giftings. Take walks with other walkers. Maybe just through your neighborhood. Just take a walk and get to know your neighbors. Wave and stop and say hello. Have a little conversation with them. Write. Write books, write plays. Write stories, write songs. And share them with people. This one may not apply to everyone, but host video game get-togethers. Invite people in. Use what you like to spread the aroma of Christ. Buy a building. Use it for the community. We can find different ways where we can create and we can play and we can do the things that we love and we're drawn to amongst those who don't know Christ. And we can just love people. We can work and spend our money. We can be missional by starting businesses. Whether you run a bakery, an automotive shop, or a travel agency, do it unto the Lord. When doing um, this missionally, you don't need to paint little crosses on every shoe you make. Just make really good shoes. 
Be an honest business person. Get to know your customers. Even how you spend your money can be done missionally. Find a small business and become a regular. Get to know the workers and the owners. Share your life with them as they share with you. Tell the servers that you see, uh, you see them working hard and it blesses you. That you appreciate them. So finally, in conclusion, maybe you're thinking all these things that you've just listed and really this message sounds really simple. Essentially, you're just telling me to live my life. Yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. So live your life. God is not trying to strip you of your hobbies or the things that you enjoy. So just live. Gather with the saints. Live in gospel-shaped community. Eat, rest, play, create, work, and spend in the ways you have grace for. And as you do, look for opportunities to serve adoption papers to those who Christ died to reconcile unto the Father. All the while, know, think about, and remember that your position in Christ is not affected by how much or how little success that you have. Can you grow a tree? Certainly you can plant a seed and you can water it. But you can't really make it grow. God is over all of that. He is sovereignly over all of that. And he has put you as part of his sovereign plan right where you are so that you can plant seeds and water You can announce the good news to people. This is mission.